John 6, 22. On the following day, when the people who were, who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to the planet, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never faint. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus this morning. Lord, looking to You, asking that You open our hearts to Your truth. Lord, asking that You not allow us to remain the same. We pray again, Lord, if there's anyone in this room today who does not know You, Lord, we pray that they will not leave in that condition. And Lord, for those of us who do know You, Lord, again, we, we would not desire to leave in the same shape in which we came. That is, we, we want to grow. We want to know more about You. We want to draw closer to You. We want to have a, a better, more accurate view of You, who You are, what Your will is. So we pray, Lord, grant through the proclamation of Your Word, the reading of Your Word, the hearing of Your Word, Lord, we pray, grant that we are changed for good, for our good, for Your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be seated. Did you come hungry today? Did you come hungry today? <laughs> don't, you, don't you hate it when uh, in, 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 in the course of a sermon, especially at the beginning, that uh, the speaker would mention food, right? Especially when you're coming up, coming up close to the noon hour. I mean, that's, that's torture. But 
But I kind of have to because the text mentions food and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let me phrase the question a little bit differently. But it's kind of saying the same thing, but just phrased a little differently. What is it that you long for? Now, one difference in that question and the first one, I, first I asked, are you hungry? One difference in the second question, what are you longing for, is that that question assumes that you have a longing. That question assumes that you're hungry for something. You long for something. And it just simply asks, based on that assumption, what is it? What is it that you long for? One of the big movements in um, Christianity today is the seeker-sensitive or seeker-friendly or seeker-movement, whatever term you want to put on it. But it assumes that everyone is seeking. And let me just say, to a certain extent, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, I might define it a little differently. Um, I, don't, I don't assume, for example, that, as some do, I don't assume that everybody is seeking the Lord. I don't even assume that everybody is seeking truth, which, if that were the case, it would lead them to the Lord, because He is truth. But I do think that everybody's seeking. And I do think that it is the church's responsibility to, to point them in the right direction so that they would find the Lord, so that they would find truth. Everybody is seeking. Or again, to say it another way, everybody is hungry. And we all have different ideas, don't we, about... And I'm just, just think about this in natural terms for a moment. We all have different ideas about what food best satisfies. I was thinking this morning, I don't know why, you know, strange thoughts come into your head, but uh, I was thinking, you know, of all the characteristics that, that get passed down from a, from, a, from a parent to a child, and there are many, various and, and numerous, and I was, I was just marveling, I think, as much as Leslie and I love nuts like pecans, I mean, you name it. You, just pretty much across the board. Almonds, in particularly. Pistachios. You, you go down the list. We love nuts. And when I say love them, I mean we like to have them on things like ice cream. Okay? I don't want... I mean, I love ice cream. I'll eat ice cream any way you, you, you put it to me. But my preference is going to be have some kind of nuts on top of it. And, of course, you know, some kind of syrup like chocolate or caramel or something to that effect. <clears throat> Maybe some bananas. And, and Anyway... Um, but here's what I was thinking. None of our kids are like that. Three kids, and it's not that they, it's not that they hate nuts, but they just don't... If, you, if you're talking ice cream or you're talking brownies, they want them without nuts. <laughs> Which is just hard for me to... You know, I don't understand. I don't know if it's a generational gap or what it, what it is, but we all have different ideas about what kind of food satisfies and some people are staking potatoes, you know, and some people um, are vegetarians. And they, they claim they get a lot of satisfaction out of that. <laughs> Again, hard for, me to, hard for me to see, although I do like a good salad. Nothing wrong with a little rabbit food <clears throat> once in a while. Good, good stuff. 
But, but I don't think I could just, uh, well, I mean, I could exist on that, but I wouldn't prefer to exist on that. For me, um, more along the lines of meat and potatoes, that's what satisfies. Everybody's hungry, but everybody's got, or at least many people have different ideas about what satisfies. And so, Every person, and we take it back to the spiritual realm now, every person out there is searching. Every, every person is hungry. But there are all kinds of ideas about what satisfies. Now sometimes we put the same name on them, like, like a, a lot of people profess to be Christians, but then they have different ideas about what, what that's all about, what it all entails. We, in Sunday school this morning, Ronnie was talking about Prosperity. Well, that one topic alone, you would get. Uh, you can. You can just span the gamut. I mean, as far as how to interpret that, right? And which, by the way, I think you know Ronnie's um, uh, teaching this morning. I think was right on, right down. You know, consistent with the teaching of the Bible. But there are people out there who who just build a whole system on the idea of prosperity, and it's not seems to me it's not about the Lord at all. It's just about material gain, wealth. But they put the Christian label on it. So sometimes we call it the same thing and our definition is different. So the bottom line is we've got a, we've got a different type of food in mind. Even though we, we may call it Christ and this person over here calls it Christ. We're, we're talking about a totally different thing. So everybody's hungry, but everybody has a different idea of what satisfies. Some, some are looking truly to spiritual things for sustenance. Christ, ultimately. You know, the Word of God. Heavenly things. Desire to be godly. Desire to be heavenly minded. And some are looking just simply to earthly things. Material, fleshly. What, what, what do I need to be happy? I need more, whatever it is, money, better position maybe, maybe fame or something of that sort. Everybody's hungry. Again, I would, I would start with that premise. But not everybody's seeking or hungering for the same thing. Now, last week we, we read about a miracle where Jesus fed... 5,000 men plus women and children with just a few loaves and a couple of fish. He fed a hungry crowd. <clears throat> they were hungry. We're going to see this morning that they were hungry not only um, uh, in that way, but in, in, you know, as far as filling their belly, but um, in other ways as well. But filling their belly was a, was a great priority. So Jesus fed the 5,000, did the miracle of the, with the five loaves and the two fish, and then he goes back across the lake to the other side, and that's where we pick up this morning. In verses 22 through 24, a little bit tricky here, but the idea is just that people, the crowd showed up on the next day on the scene, and ultimately they wind up going to seek Jesus because now he's gone. They don't know how. They know the disciples left without him. 
He put the disciples on the boat, told them to head back across while He dismissed the crowd. So they know the disciples left without Him and, and they're thinking there was only one boat. You know, that, and, and Jesus did not go with the disciples. So where is He? Well, they, they eventually um, head across the lake to find Him. So, verse 24 words it this way, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now Capernaum, by the way, at, at this point in Jesus' ministry is, is His home. This is where He's, where he's headquartered. And uh, again, a little tricky, so I'm going to give you a heads up ahead of time, but by the time you get to the end of the chapter, um, we find out that much of this has been going on in the synagogue in Capernaum. That's, by the way, is verse 59. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as He taught in Capernaum. So what He's about to start saying here in verse uh, 25, 26, all the way through verse 59, all or part of that is said in the synagogue in Capernaum. And we don't know um, where the transition takes place, you know, because when did he wind up in the synagogue? And, and we, John doesn't tell us. But somewhere in, in, uh, in this discourse. So Capernaum is Jesus' home. It's where he's headquartered, where he's working out of now. They go back to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now that, that sounds good. That sounds real good. But here's the thing. We're going to find out these are selfish seekers. Selfish seekers. Now, apart from God's grace, that's the way it's always going to be. I said earlier, everybody's seeking, but not everybody's seeking the Lord. And I'm going to make the case later, probably not this morning, probably tonight, that really the only way that's going to come about is by God's grace. Everybody's seeking something and everybody's looking for something to satisfy and everybody's got something in mind that they think, you know, this is what it will take to satisfy me. This is, this is fulfillment. This will do it. But that's not the Lord in the mind of everybody. And what has to happen for that to be the Lord, in other words, to, to genuinely seek Jesus in such a way that you would look for satisfaction in Him and Him alone, in order for that to happen, that takes a work of grace on God's part. We may come back to that briefly this morning, but mainly we'll talk about that tonight, Lord willing. But they are seeking Jesus. Like I said, that sounds good. And you, and you can put, and this does happen unfortunately, but you can put His name on whatever it is that you think satisfies and go after it and say, I'm seeking Jesus. The problem is, you, you, bottom line is, we don't fool Him in doing that. We already saw that, didn't we, at the end of chapter 2. He knows what's in man. And so he won't commit himself to those kinds of people. Because he knows their heart. He knows they're not true seekers. What he's looking for is what he tells the woman at the well in chapter 4. What he's looking for is people who worship him in spirit and in truth. True seekers. In fact, he says God is seeking such to worship Him. 
So they go to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, verse 25 says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? This is where we get another place where we get a lot of the, the, the confusing thoughts from, from this group of people. They wanted to make him king, we saw in, last, in the last chapter. And here they call him Rabbi. So, so they, they're, they're giving a, a, at least in word, they're giving the appearance of, of, an, of an allegiance to him, a desire for him. Submission to him. Rabbi? Referring to him as teacher. And yet, we'll see as we go on, there's no true submission to him at all. But they say, Rabbi, when did you come here? They're confused about that. Again, they know the disciples left without him. They don't know how he got there. Interestingly, he doesn't answer that question. He's never about... They're, they're, they're about seeking signs. We'll see that in a moment. Jesus is never about doing signs for signs' sake or, or giving proof. You know, well, here's, here, this will convince you of who I am. He's not about that. When he, when he does a miracle, he's got genuine purpose behind it. You know, we talked in, last, uh, last week about the feeding of the 5,000 and, and, and the, what it pictures there, what it tells us about the all-sufficiency of Christ to satisfy the soul. He's able to meet every need. You can partake of Him and be fully satisfied, just like those people were who ate of what He, uh, what he distributed from the five loaves and two fish. So every miracle has, has true purpose there. That is, God's redemptive purposes is pictured in it somehow, some way. He changes water into wine. So you've got a, a living picture there of, of a new creation, something being converted from one nature to another. Every miracle has that kind of purpose. He doesn't just do signs to amuse people or even to convince them. So they say, how did you get over here? Well, we know how he got over there. He walked across the sea. <laughs> it's a miracle again. He just walked across the water and in the process calmed a violent storm. But he doesn't, he doesn't even answer the question. He doesn't go into all that. What he does say, though, is very interesting. <laughs> Verse 26, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, there's that two-word phrase again, or one-word phrase, it's just re repeated, Amen, Amen. Verily, verily, the old King James says, Amen, Amen, literally. That means I'm about to say something very important here and you better listen up. It, this is indeed true. Truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, he's just putting a great deal of emphasis on what he's about to say. Now, what does he say? Verse 26. You, that is all of you, the, the crowd that are seeking him, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, these are selfish seekers. they got their belly full, and that's what they want. They want more of that. They want more handouts. They want more satisfaction of the flesh. It's more of, you know, what, what can you do for me? Not, not in the sense of, 
not in the right sense. I mean, we, we do need to come to Jesus with that attitude. What can you do for me? We, we need to acknowledge our, our, our spiritual need, our spiritual deadness. Our, even as Christians, our spiritual dullness. And we need to acknowledge our dependence on the Lord and say, Lord, help, help, fill me. But that's not what they're doing. With them, it's, it's, it's totally material, totally natural. they got their belly full. They want more of that. We're looking for another, another handout. Now, Jesus gives them an exhortation here in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. There's another, there's another assumption built in that statement right there. It's based on, of course, what he's observing them do. And that is that they're willing to work. They're willing to work for something. It's kind of an irony sometimes, isn't it? Kind of a paradox. Sometimes, and we joke about this a lot of times, don't you people do? Um, some, some people will work harder to do nothing <laughs> and expend more effort to do that than probably would be required if they just did something, you know, work. So, but everybody works in some sense is just the point. I remember we were at a, a group of us, uh, our Thursday morning group, having Bible study getaway one time. And this one brother, boy, he just wouldn't be still... You know, we had a little fire going. It was going pretty good, I thought. But he's constantly gathering wood. and He's doing all this stuff and making sure that the fire is maintained and everything. Busy, busy, busy while we're talking. And, and uh, Mike Harris, friend of mine, looked at me and he said, You know, in reality, he's lazy. He just doesn't want us to know that he's lazy, so he works hard to, to, you know, to make us think that he's not. <laughs> Everybody works. He was just joking, of course, but everybody works. Everybody works. And Jesus says, essentially, what is it that you're working for? What are you putting effort into? What are you, what are you spending energy on? What are you seeking? What are you striving for? Again, the assumption is there that everybody is doing that in some way. Everybody, everybody has something in mind that they hunger for, that they desire, that they long for, and they're working for that. They want it. Now, they may never get it. Some people want fame, and they'll never, they'll never get it. You do. You could probably take a poll among, oh, let's say, junior high boys. And I imagine the percentage of them that think they're going to be um, NBA stars one day or NFL stars one day would probably be pretty high. <laughs> the truth is, not many of them are going to be. And some of them may put a lot of effort into that and never be. On the other hand, they may accomplish it. Or they may just say, you know, what, what I want is a, is, a, is a good paying job, great education, good job, make a lot of money. And they may work toward that and they may achieve it. Or they may become an NBA star, an NFL star. But here's the deal. 
that food spoils. It goes bad. It don't last. In fact, if you know anything, and of course you do, if you know anything about famous people in our culture, how many, how many examples could you think of off the top of your head that ultimately maybe committed suicide or they wrecked their marriages or whatever, you know, common stories. We hear them all the time. Why is that? If those things satisfy, then why do we hear so many stories like that? And forget about the famous people. Is, is that not true as well? Just the average folks, you know, some people make a lot of money. Or they just achieve the dream job. Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be a lot of money, but maybe it's just the dream job for them. And it doesn't bring the kind of fulfillment often that they thought that it would. Why is that? Even if it does in this lifetime, I mean, they may, they may get, go through their whole life, um, quote, <clears throat> satisfied, thinking they're satisfied in their particular circumstances, and they will find out if not sooner, they will find out at death that those things really didn't matter. They really weren't worth it. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't work for the food that perishes, the food that spoils. He's using an analogy here of food that goes bad. Why, why labor so hard for that? When in a short time it's going to be useless. It only lasts so long. And then it spoils. It perishes. It goes bad. Now he's talking about their materialism. He's talking about their, their living life for their belly. You know, just driven by natural desires. Fleshly desires. Pursuing things that don't last putting a great deal of, of emphasis on those things, putting a great deal of value on those things. And that's what the world does. In fact, there are some things that are, that are, that are perfectly alright, but I mean, in and of themselves, they're not, they're not evil, they're not good. Um, you take, for example, a, a, an education. Nothing wrong with being educated, of course. Nothing wrong with being uneducated, necessarily. But um, that thing in and of itself is not necessarily good or bad. But in the world, isn't there an overvaluing of education? To the extent that we train our young people that that's kind of the ultimate. It's like that's all that matters. If you, if you get a college education then you're good to go. It's almost like troubles are gone at that point. Life's going to be a breeze. You're going to be able to fulfill all your dreams. Well, setting them up for a letdown one way or another. It's not because education is bad, but it just shouldn't be overvalued. It should not be an object of worship. You can say the same about career. You can say the same about relationships. Why do you work for that, Jesus says. 
Well, he says, don't. Do not work for the food that perishes, that spoils. That is, it's temporary. It doesn't last. So ultimately, the satisfaction runs out. At some point, you find that it didn't satisfy or no longer satisfies like you once thought that it did. So don't, don't put so much energy into that. Don't waste your time on that. Now, here's what you do. He doesn't just leave them with that negative exhortation. He gives them the opposite, the positive. But for the food that endures to eternal life. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So, again, he's assuming they're working. In fact, he knows they are. He sees, he sees this going on. They're, they're going to a great deal of trouble and difficulty to track him down because they got a free meal yesterday and they're hoping to get another one today. Got their belly full yesterday. They're hoping to get the same satisfaction today. So they go to a great deal of effort to track him down in hopes of getting their belly filled. Jesus says, look, don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that endures. Now notice, notice, He keeps the concept of work. Because what He's, what he's talking about is, is being in pursuit of something. Spending energy, striving for, longing for. Longing for, of course, would, would describe a desire. So he's talking about not only, not only having the desire, but, but actively trying to fulfill the desire. That's what he means by work. You're, you're chasing something. That's why I often exhort people to go hard after Jesus. In other words, don't, don't take it lightly. And that's an exhortation for me as well. Don't take it lightly. Go hard after Him. Listen, He's worth it. Besides that, you're not going to be disappointed. He's worth the pursuit. And that's what He's saying Himself here. Don't put so much energy into stuff that just, just goes bad after a while. Eventually, it either spoils or it, or it just rusts and decays until it's no longer of value, no longer of use. But work for food that doesn't do that. Don't look for food that won't last to sustain you. You've got to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep finding more, keep finding more. Instead, he's saying, look for something, work for something, strive for something, long for something that will sustain you Forever. It never perishes. It never goes bad. No expiration date. Now, where I work, um, you know, that's one of the things we have to watch for. That's a big deal. Expiration date. There's no expiration date on what Jesus is talking about. It never, never expires. There's nothing else you can say that about. What if you, what if you just get that dream job? One day it's over. One way or another. I mean, your, your whole career might go good, but it's got to end at some point. At some point, they either force you out because you're too old, <laughs> or you just realize, you know, you can't do it anymore. 
you get too old, or you die. At some point, it's over. What if you make the money you dreamed of? Again, at some point, it's gone. You, you don't take it beyond death. Like we hear so many people say, you can't take it with you. What if you get that education? Well, that, it might, that might be good, but, but again, it's only useful as long as you're in the position to use it. If you're of sound mind, you're able to be in the productive workforce, that won't always be the case. So he says, put effort into, put energy into, pursue the food that never perishes. The food that endures. That is, it remains to eternal life. It remains to eternal life. It just, it just, it is eternal life. And it just leads right into eternal life. It's the same thing he said to the woman at the well. I would give you living water and it will be a well springing up within you to eternal life. It just flows right into eternal life. It lasts forever. You don't have to keep coming back. You don't have to look for something else because it satisfies. Work for that, Jesus says. Put energy into that. Pursue that. Now, then they said to Him, verse 20. Well, that's verse 28. Let me, let me go back and finish verse 27 here. <clears throat> Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. So he's saying, you get this from me. Again, this is a lot of parallels here um, with other discussions that we've talked about already and some we'll see in the future. But with the woman at the well, remember he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that's speaking to you, you'd have asked me for a drink and I would give you living water. That's along the same lines of what he says here. Work for the food that doesn't perish, which the Son of Man will give to you, for him, for on him, God the Father has set his seal. He's, he's the authorized one. Nobody else is. Essentially what he's saying is, you can't get it anywhere else. The Son of Man, he's talking about himself, is the only authorized giver of eternal life. And it is truly a gift. So they said to him, verse 20, uh, 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, it's almost like they didn't hear a thing he just said. <laughs> but it's exactly like that. Because spiritually they didn't. They didn't perceive it. They didn't understand it. He, he just said, it's, it's a gift. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures through eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Because He's the authorized giver. God has set His seal on Him. And they said, well, look, um, you're telling us to work, which He was. Well, tell us what we must do to be doing the works of God. 
Now, there's some uh, assumptions in that statement as well. One I'm just I'm, I'm only going to mention here, <clears throat> and again, uh, because that's where we're headed tonight. So, Lord willing, we'll be talking about that tonight. Um, <clears throat> the first one, though, is this. You, they're thinking they can do whatever is required. In other words, they're saying, just tell us what we need to do. What, what the work of God is. So they're assuming, it, first of all, it's a work to be done. And then secondly, they're assuming that they have the ability to do it if, if they just know what it is. Just tell us what it is. Tell us what we must do to do the works of God. And the implication is, tell us what it is and we'll do it. They're, they're just assuming they've got the ability. We're going to see later that that's not a good assumption. It's not correct. But it's not just something you do. It's not just a work to do. Jesus has already said it's given. So Jesus responds this way, verse 29. This is the work of God. It's going to be quite different from what's going on in their head. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. You believe. That's, that's the work. That's where the, that's where the energy needs to be. That's where the effort needs to be. Believe in Jesus. Again, when he says, believe in Him whom He has sent, whom God has sent, he's talking about himself. Here's the work of God. Here's what God expects you to do, to, to phrase it another way. Here's what God expects you to do. Believe on Christ. And boy, there's a lot built into that word belief. We'll be talking about it all the way through this study in the Gospel of John. But Jesus says, this is it. Believe. And I guarantee you that's not the kind of answer they were looking for. Because they're looking for something they can perform. What do I do? Do I go to church? Do I pray a certain amount of time every day? I do a certain amount of Bible reading. What do I do? What do I do? How do I? How do, maybe I uh, uh, do a pilgrimage. <laughs> go go to some holy spot, some holy place. Or maybe I just give a lot of money away and do the works of God that way. Jesus says, "Look, here's the work of God. Believe on Him who He has sent." And John keeps coming back to that, doesn't he? He keeps giving us these stories and, and uh, discourses where that is just constantly being driven home. Believe. Believe on Him. That is, believe on Jesus. That's the only way to eternal life. So they're looking for a work, something they can do. And Jesus just gives them the way. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, that they at least it seems like understand partially here. I mean, they understand the focus is on Him to some degree. And so, they, so they're asking now for a sign. What, what, what are you going to do so that we should believe? What sign, verse 30, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you. Now, as you're reading this gospel, you're you're probably thinking, what, what do they want? He he turned water into wine. We've already read in this gospel alone where he 
he, uh, he, he's healed a lame man by the pool beside him. He fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. And they're asking for a sign? <laughs> what do they want? Well, I, I think, and, and, and we do know this about this crowd, they did witness the, the last miracle. They, they were there. That's why they're back now. They got their stomachs filled. <clears throat> but I think they're looking for something specific here because they bring this up about Moses. I, I, in other words, I think they're looking for like a sign from heaven that would be an, uh, God's testimony that this is the man you must follow. So, just like in, in, the, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel knew that God rained manna after Moses led them out of Egypt. And it, and it, yeah, it was there to feed them, of course, but, but it also validated, did it not? It validated Moses' ministry. I mean, when they got to the Red Sea, even before the manna, when they got to the Red Sea and they were cornered between... Uh, sandwiched between the sea and the Egyptian army. Moses lifted up his rod and God split the sea. I mean, that's pretty good evidence. <laughs> that's pretty good evidence that God was on Moses' side, okay? That was a sign. And the manna was a sign. And so they say to Jesus, what work do you perform? Now they've shifted it a little bit from their work to His work. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're saying the bread from heaven was, was given as a... As a uh, in fact, I think they're, they're interpreting it here as Moses giving it. Moses gave the bread and that, that proved that Moses was God's man. So they're, they're saying do something like that so that we can believe on you. Jesus says in verse 32, truly, truly, and there it is again, amen, amen, emphasis, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread. They were messed up already thinking that it came from Moses. Too much emphasis on Moses. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Now listen to what he says. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Well, in the first place, in reality, it wasn't Moses that gave the bread back there in the Old Testament. It was God that gave the bread, right? God, God caused the manna to rain. But what Jesus does here is interesting, and I, I think there's a reason for it. Did you notice the shift in the verb tense there? From past to present? It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, so you expect him to say, My Father gave you the bread from heaven. You know, back there in the time of Moses. That's not what he says. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you, present tense, my Father gives you the true bread. Interesting. He's saying, you want a sign? Here's your sign. The very manna that you're talking about. The very manna that God rained from heaven that we have recorded for us in the Old Testament in the time of Moses. Jesus is saying, essentially, here's your sign. 
And what do signs do? Signs point to something, right? They signify something. It's where we get the term signify. Same root, sign, signify. Signs signify something. They point to something. Jesus is saying, there's your sign. The manna. In fact, there's another sign in Mo- Moses. was a sign too. What he's saying is, all of those things point to something. They were not the thing. They signify something. Now, the something that they signify is the true thing. In this case, the true bread. Again, you could say the same about Moses, right? Moses was a great deliverer, but he really pointed to the true deliverer, Jesus. He signified a deliverer to come. The manna, the bread, signified Jesus as well. So, Jesus says, My Father gives you the true bread. Not that that manna back there wasn't real, but it wasn't an end in itself. It was, it was pointing to something. God gave it to them back there to satisfy temporarily, but to point to something that would satisfy forever. Sort of like we talked about with the feeding of the 5,000 last week. It satisfied them for a few hours, but the main purpose in it was to point them to someone who could satisfy forever. So my Father gives you now, present tense, my Father, in fact you could translate it this way, my Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. So, Jesus says, there's a greater reality, greater than that bread that Moses was associated with, that he refers to as the true bread. It's a greater reality. And it's being given now, presently. Verse 33, For the bread of God, and he uses that interchangeably, by the way, bread, true bread from heaven, bread from heaven, bread of God, he's talking about the same thing. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven. Now, you, you want a sign and you're, you're looking for a material thing. You're looking for something that can meet your temporary desire, can fill you for a moment, give you momentary pleasure, give you momentary comfort or satisfaction. But it's not a, a thing at all that you should be looking for in the sense of some kind of uh, material provision. The true bread, Jesus says is a He. It's a person. He who comes down from heaven. Again, of course, He's talking about Himself. He descended from the Father. The true bread comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now, another parallel. Remember the woman at the well? Give me this drink so that I don't have to keep coming back here and drawing water. I think that's the same thing that's happening here. Their minds are still focused too low. 
But Jesus says, you know, hey, there's the true bread. The Father gives it from heaven and it gives life to the world. And they, still thinking in materialistic terms, say, sir, give us this bread always. That is, keep us supplied. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. Keep our bellies full. Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. The Greek is emphatic right there. The, the I am is emphatic. I, I am. In fact, it's the same phrase that is used to translate God's name. I am. I am that I am. Jesus said to them with emphasis, I am the bread. You know, so they're not getting it. You're, you're still looking for something else. You're looking for something out there. Something that will satisfy you. Something that will make you content. Something that will make you happy. And you're looking everywhere but at Me. That's what Jesus is saying. I am it. I am the bread. You want bread that sustains not only now but forever? It's Me, He says. You're not going to find that satisfaction anywhere else. Not even if you make up your own Jesus. I mean, they came across the lake seeking Jesus, right? But their concept of Jesus was all messed up. They wanted to make Him an earthly king. He can set us free from the Romans is the idea. He can give us safety and security and comfort. He can even feed us miraculously. I mean, we, we won't even have to work anymore. Jesus can provide all of our needs. Quote, unquote. They're seeking Jesus, but their perception of Jesus is totally wrong. And Jesus is giving them the truth. The bread that I'm talking about doesn't just satisfy now, it satisfies forever. And it may not meet your desires. It may not make you comfortable. It may not make your belly full. It may not give you the kind of esteem that you would desire. In fact, it won't. Here's what it will do. It will fulfill the greatest need that you have. The one that you might not even be aware of. The need for life. Spiritual life. Reconciliation to God. Right relationship to God through Jesus Christ. That's the need that He came to fill. It will satisfy a longing soul. He will satisfy a longing soul if the longing of the soul is righteousness, holiness. If the longing of the soul is fellowship with God, then Christ and only Christ can satisfy and will satisfy that longing. I am the bread of life. 
he says. Notice the of life, the qualifier. Not just any bread, not, not the bread that fills you momentarily. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that gives life, that sustains life. The, the truest kind of life. Life in God. Because the truest kind of life is fellowship with God. We're going to see that later. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, Jesus says. That they may know You, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom You've seen. That's the kind of life He's talking about. That's the kind of life that lasts through the ages. That's the kind of life that you don't die from. You don't, you don't lose it. Never-ending, eternal life. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. You see, He's talking about perfect, complete satisfaction. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. You go somewhere else, you're going to find yourself hungry again. You drink from another well, you're going to find yourself thirsty again. Right back in the same shoes where you were. But whoever comes to Me, He says, shall never hunger. Whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. Because He satisfies fully and completely. So what do you what do you long for? What do you hunger for? And I'm just going to assume, like I think the Bible assumes, I'm just going to assume that everybody in this room is hungry. And I don't just mean physically. I know some of you are already thinking about lunch, right? It's that time. Where am I going to go for lunch? Or what are we going to have? What's in the oven? Thinking about roast beef, thinking about pizza or whatever it is. Okay, that's fine. But you know what? You can get your fill of that and it's going to wear off after a while. The food that Jesus is talking about here never wears off. Now I know we've all got physical desires. We all want to eat lunch. But spiritually speaking, what are you hungry for? When you think in terms of being satisfied, don't, don't, don't think of that in a trite way. I know the, the way we use that a lot of times, that's kind of the way we tend to think. But I'm talking about real satisfaction in the depth of your being, your soul. When you think about being satisfied, what will it take to get you there? Well, based on what we just read, I can answer that question. There's only one thing. Jesus. Jesus. He satisfies the hungry soul. So I exhort you this morning, if, this, if, if you haven't already, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that He satisfies. Taste and see. Would you stand, please?
we'll dismiss with a word of prayer. And uh, you know, Ronnie was talking about meditation in his uh, in his class this morning. So I ask you to do this, and me as well. So easy to walk out to get these things. So Lord, help us help us remember. But when when you when you partake of your lunch today, the the, the meat that satisfies the body temporarily. As you're doing that, think of what that pictures in the spiritual realm. And ask yourself, me, ask myself, ultimately, what am I hungry for? What what satisfies my soul? Let's pray.